Did you know this podcast is powered by Acast? Acast is the home of podcasting. For creators looking for freedom to grow their listeners and make money too. And creative brands looking for smart ways to advertise. Podcasters and advertisers in the know know Acast. It's time you did too. Visit Acast.com to find out more. Acast. For the stories. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is the 19th of April and it is day 28 of quarantine. Um, <laughs> I did have a realisation before I started to record. It has, it has been four weeks to the day that uh, quarantine was announced within the UK. Um, it's been a strange ride. And uh, yeah, doing everything I can to avoid cabin fever, keeping myself busy. Things like the podcast are helpful because it means I get to speak to some fantastic guests. And I do have a corker of a guest for you today, uh, which I'll go on into a minute. But first, I shall give you my personal update. So in my personal update, my horror Patreon experiment is going pretty well. So I've had a few new followers on Patreon. Um, I've delivered the first few chapters of what will be the prequel to my horror serial. Um, and it seems to be going down pretty well. It's it's quite nice to have something that keeps you on track and makes you um, that regularly accountable because knowing that there are people who have already paid some money to receive the, the, the chapters that I've been posting reminds you, number one, to write and to post them. Um, but also because I'm making it sort of public straight away, it's also trying to, it pushes me a little bit extra to neaten it up, really make it that quality because um, at the end, what I'll likely, what, what I'll likely do once the story's wrapped up is collect it all together, go over it all again and re-upload the entire file so people can see the difference between the first chapters posted and the final finished article. Um, but yeah, it's just a reminder to, to keep doing that, which is quite fun. But I'm enjoying it and the story's coming out quite well, so I'm happy with that. Um, I have also collected a bunch of responses for um, people to include in my collaboration book, which I'll start chipping away at over the next few weeks um, in the hope of probably getting the collaboration book out in the next couple of months which I'm I'm excited for because I genuinely really, really enjoyed writing this book. And one thing that myself and uh, Joanna Penn, who is today's guest, go into um, in this interview is the, the, the joy, I guess, of writing nonfiction. And also um, there is, it is easier than, than fiction in many ways. Um, and th- I found it a lot easier to just get the words down because it's, it's an outpouring of stuff that I already know, as opposed to obviously picturing all the fictional scenarios, trying to work out how characters will interrelate, how it'll, how it'll affect the the, the storyline further down the line and things like that. So I'm excited to get it put together. Um, I'm happy with where it's at, and yeah, I'll start chipping away at that. And one big announcement. Actually, I've got 
one big announcement and a slightly smaller announcement, I guess. One uh, one big announcement is I mentioned last week the Next Level Author podcast with myself and Sasha Black. Uh, that should have gone live by the time this episode airs. It should have gone live on Tuesday, the 21st of April. So if you are wanting to dive into some conversations with me and Sasha and find out how to level up your author business, then hop on over onto your podcast feed and check out the Next Level Authors and join us over on the Facebook group. Um, just type Next Level Author Podcast or Next Level Authors into Facebook and you should be able to see Sasha's purple and my royal gold Um and the final, the, the mini the mini announcement, I guess, is uh, I am currently in the process of looking at further content that I can add to this show and further ways that I can bring value to you guys. I've uh, I've got someone roped in to do something for me, which I can't really... <laughs> I'm basically just going to tease at this point. I can't really say much more on right now because we're in the process of recording and sorting it all out. Um, but there will be a bit extra coming. The guys over at Patreon know what is up and coming um, and yeah, just a few extra things, because what, what I want to do with a great writer share is really just find ways to add value to you as writers, as listeners, and uh, just to help ease some of the problems that you might have when you're doing your writing. So um, good stuff coming up, and I'll give you more information on that when I can. Today's guest is Joanna Penn. Uh, Joanna and I chatted last on the podcast Going back to 2017, um, I've popped the episodes down in the show notes. Um, and that was the, the podcast that myself and Luke Condor used to do, the Story Studio. And obviously a lot changes in, in three years. And it was nice to have a catch up with Joanna and to get an hour or so of her time just to sit down and ask the questions that I've been dying to ask. Obviously, hopefully get some stuff that's uh, informative for you as well. Um, and some of the things that we, we we went on a whole spectrum of different topics. It was it was really, really informative, particularly for me. Uh, but we go into how Joanna's writing process and approach to business has changed since she first started writing uh, over a decade ago. And we look at things like uh, paying attention to audio, intellectual property and how you can repurpose and make sure you're making the most of what you are, what you've already created. Uh, and also direct selling. So cutting out the middleman and just selling directly to your customers. We talk about the unsexy realities of being a full-time author, so how it's not entirely all sunshine and rainbows, and you don't just sit down on a porch and write all day, and what some of the other facets of running your own author business look like. And we talk about the difference between bestseller lists and genre awards, and how to put yourself in the best position for both, which for me was really, really interesting, because I know that one of my goals is to win a Bram Stoker award at some point. And Joanna is just a, a fountain of useful information, so um, stick around and you will find out all about that. Just a quick reminder before we dive into the interview that this episode is brought to you by all my wonderful patrons over at patreon.com forward slash great writers share, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to a whole load of extra bonuses, including uh, entry into the Slack group, early access to episodes, ad-free episodes, and a whole lot more. So if you want to get all that good stuff, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. Now, without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and only Joanna Penn. Joanna Penn is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling thriller author, as well as a writer of nonfiction for authors. She's written over 30 books and sold over 500,000 books in 84 countries and five languages. She's an independent author and also runs a small press, Curl Up Press, with her husband and business partner. Joanna is also an international professional speaker and award-winning creative entrepreneur. In 2018, she was awarded Publishing Commentator of the Year by Digital Bookworld. Her show, The Creative Pen Podcast, has been downloaded 3.7 million times in 219 countries. 
Based now in Bath, Joanna is a travel junkie who also likes hiking and relaxing with a book and a glass of Pinot Noir or a gin and tonic. Hendrix and Fever Tree, please. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show, Dan. And in fact, I have a glass of Pinot Noir right here, right now, <laughs> because we're we're post 6pm in the UK. So I think that's fair enough. <laughs> what's, the, what's your uh, official fine time to be able to drink? Is it normally at a 6pm limit? Uh, well, if it's a weekday, I suppose. But <laughs> but as we re- as we should say, as we record this, yes. we're in lock we're in lockdown uh, for the coronavirus. And I think uh, while in lockdown, the time to drink is any time you like. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I have found that I've uh, I've indulged in a couple of sort of whiskeys just occasionally because sometimes you just need it. I mean, uh, how are you? How are you cracking along with the the coronavirus at the minute where you are? Well, I think it's. I'm really glad we're locked down, really, because before the official lockdown, my parents were just behaving badly and running around having a good time. And I'm like, please go home, please go home. And then once they announced the lockdown, they're at least behaving. So I think, as you know, for full time writers, it's the daytime is pretty similar. But um, I'm definitely missing my writing cafe. Of course, you mentioned I'm a travel junkie. Uh, and that is the biggest thing. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I take this for granted. And my husband is a New Zealander. And and uh, so his family are the other side of the world. And it's just uh, it's a difficult time for everyone. And, you know, we don't want to make light of it. But equally, we're not going to talk about it in this show. <laughs> we're just no. going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We're going to move on from that one because I think uh, coronavirus is everywhere. So let's make this a little bit of relief for people. Um, I want to jump into um, one of the questions I've got here. I've put arguably you're one of the mothers of the indie fiction movement. How has the changing world of publishing affecting you and your approach to writing books over the past decade? Uh, well, I, I'm not sure I'm uh, one of the mothers. I think that's a, <laughs> as a happily child-free woman, it's unnecessary. Um, I've definitely been involved for a, a long time. But um, in terms of writing, I don't think my writing practice has changed particularly in terms of how the publishing industry has changed. Perhaps the biggest thing has been audio. I mean, because when I started in 2000, I started writing in 2006, first self-published in 2008, and then eBooks came along. And that's been the dominant thing for independent authors. And then realistically, audiobooks, I was one of the first authors in the UK to join ACX when it first launched. I think that was 2014, 2015. And then I've been narrating my own books. And I have found that my writing has changed based on self-narration, particularly for nonfiction at the moment, because that's mainly what I'm narrating. But um, with my fiction, it's definitely changed the way I write. And mainly that's because we have the opportunities we do with audiobooks publishing and yeah so that's probably the biggest thing the fact is when we first started as an well when I first started as an indie the main market was the US it was Kindle only but now we're in a situation where we can reach pretty much every country in the world my number of countries sold in is actually 149 countries now I've sold books I know (laughs) (laughs) I just updated that on my bio um but yeah so selling books across the world um and also in libraries in bookstores none of that was possible uh, back in the day when I first started out. So what I would say to people is the way that the way that things have changed just mean that there are more and more and more opportunities every single year. Uh, like literally, it used to be ebooks in America were it. And now mm. it literally is every format in every country. I do hardbacks, print on demand. I do audio, large print, you know, as well as the ebooks, paperbacks. So 
I think it literally is just more and more all the time. And I feel that I haven't even made the most of my intellectual property assets. <laughs> so I think most authors listening, if you take an inventory of what you have created, you could take it in so many more directions. Mm. It's definitely something that I need to I need to look at with my back list because I, I've got the, the key ones. There's always the ebook and the paperback. Of course, there is. But then it's always getting it into all the different other formats as well. Where do you where do you source your information from in order to learn and keep up to date with what is a constantly changing environment? Oh, good question. I mean, I I'm pretty well connected at this point. Mm. So a lot of people will tell me. So most of the major companies uh, involved will email me with anything that's going on. Uh, I also monitor a lot of blogs. Um, I monitor, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I um, read newsletters, I'm involved in various communities at a higher level. So most of my interest is is at the higher level, is on, you know, what are the, say, the artificial intelligence AI changes that are going to impact authors in the next five to 10 years? You know, that's the type of stuff I'm interested in, not necessarily that some company has just introduced more print-on-demand services or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I do, you know, obviously many uh, authors, that's where most people are in the sort of day-to-day -day life. But I think... I mean, podcasting, obviously, you and I both podcast. One of the things that makes you stop podcasting is when you get bored with your own material and when you just ask the same questions over and over again. And the Creative Pen is over a decade. The Creative Pen podcast is over a decade old. So I could not be asking the same questions that mm -hmm. I used to ask because I, I I, mean, I almost gave it up in 2015. Um, but then I carried on because I was like, right, well, the only way to make this work is by really focusing in on what I find interesting and doing this personal introduction to all my episodes and talking about the other things that are going on in the industry um so i guess yeah i, I just read a lot of blogs i subscribe to a lot in feedly I have feedly on my phone so if i'm in between things i'll look at my feedly app i'll just surf a few headlines save a few things um you know, for example, as we speak today, I found something where they they can now turn brainwaves into words. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And I, mm. I've this has been fizzling away on in a few levels, but um, I'm collating evidence for uh, when we can just think. But I mean, most of us struggle enough with dictation, so I mean, <laughs> not sure we could write books with our minds. <laughs> I would be interested to see how that would come out on just a blank page of piece of paper. That'd yeah, it would really impressive. not be good. It would need a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to go back uh, to a bit more of the beginning of your journey and uh, talk a little bit about when you first, I mean, obviously you've told the story about moving from your old day job into writing a lot. You had your your note inside your, your purse about um, wanting to, you were a full-time creative and wanting to jump out and, and do that full-time. Um, when you were first getting pen to paper, what did your writing process look like then? How did you approach that first moment of, okay, I'm going to try my hand at writing? Well, I started off with nonfiction and I think nonfiction is much, much easier. Sorry if people listening write nonfiction, but I do think nonfiction is much easier because you take what you know and you do some more research and you put it in an order. And um, 
I was a business consultant and I did a lot of presentations. So I always did speaking, you know, I would go into a company and we would research the company and then we'd present things. So I was very used to doing PowerPoint presentations as a business consultant. And I took a similar approach. This was before I, I don't even know if Scrivener existed in 2006, but essentially I, I still base a lot of my nonfiction stuff on, uh, you know, PowerPoint slides or keynote because I'm Mac now. But this idea of structure for nonfiction is really important. So essentially, I wrote that first book was called Career Change. I just started writing and organizing my thoughts. I did a lot of research for that book. I read a ton of books. I used to go to this library back in the day when you used to go to a physical library and get physical <laughs> books. And um and then put it all together. So structuring and my process for nonfiction with Scrivener is so much easier because you drag and drop things around. It's brilliant. I don't know how anyone does it. I actually think I did do different um, word documents per chapter because it was the only way to kind of organize it in a hierarchy. Oh, wow. um, knowing that this chapter would be about, you know, health and this chapter would be about something else. And I just wanted to move things around. So, yeah, definitely that first book took me a lot longer. Um, and then fiction, I actually did for my first novel, I did the year of a no of the novel uh, after I had done NaNoWriMo. So I started writing fiction in NaNoWriMo 2009, I think it was. And then I did year of the novel at a local library in Queensland, Australia. And at the end of the year, I had a draft and then I went into editing and all that kind of thing. So definitely, as everybody knows, your writing process becomes more organized <laughs> over time. But I definitely don't think it makes it any easier. <laughs> and uh, obviously, in the beginning, when you when you are writing, obviously, you had that goal of I want to make this full time, I want my books to be successful, I want to run this as a full time business. Um, and that was almost the, the thing I'm guessing that kept you accountable. What is it now, 1015 years later, that keeps you accountable to what you're trying to deliver? My podcast is awesome. I mean, really, at the moment, especially coming back to the coronavirus, um, you know, many of us at the moment, there are some days where you just wonder why, why bother? Uh, why don't I retrain as a nurse or a doctor or something? <laughs> be far more useful to society. And then you realise that actually you can be useful in your way. And many people, you know, and I decided to carry on with my podcast and um, people have emailed me and said thank you for carrying on um you know and obviously or most of us are finding solace from the world in art and we're reading books we're watching tv shows we're escaping into fiction so then you reframe the world and you say oh okay actually what i do is valuable to a certain group of people and that's you know i'd be a useless nurse <laughs> or doctor <laughs> so i'm not gonna go that way um but in terms of accountability one this is my income it's my household income so that's one thing i have to pay the bills so that keeps keeps the business running um the second thing the podcast is great because every week i have to say what i've been doing in terms of my writing and um thirdly my own creative drive in that the more you write the more books you have to write i mean my list of books to write is huge it's, it's about 15 books at the moment oh wow and every time you write a book you realize that there are more books you need to write. Um, 
and I'm also creating online courses at the moment and doing that kind of thing because that helps in other other ways but I so I think all of that I mean I'm very I'm a very driven self-directed person anyway I don't need someone telling me I have a deadline my deadline is you know very uh, I'm, I'm always working I'm a workaholic and I, I love it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think all of those things but the other thing is people say oh you're so disciplined I'm totally not disciplined you should see well hence the wine and the stock of <laughs> Cadbury's cream eggs that I have downstairs <laughs> I did like that anecdote in your newsletter yeah yeah it's true it's true but um so my discipline is it's not discipline it's what I want to do with my life so I don't think you need discipline if it's something you want to do. You need discipline when it comes to things like don't eat that chocolate. That's when you, <laughs> that's when you need the discipline. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I found particularly at the minute with, and we, we say we're not going to touch on coronavirus, but obviously it's everywhere at the minute, um, mm. is that over the past week, uh, just over a week that we've been in lockdown, my life in terms of work hasn't been affected either too, because one thing it has given me uh, more confidence in is the fact that I do love what I do. So it's not like I'm sat around bored trying to find things to do. I'm actively wanting to get these things done. Is it similar for you? Yeah, in fact, I have more to do. Uh, what I am finding <laughs> difficult is fiction, mainly because my fiction writing process is to go to a cafe and sit at a specific table and at a specific time and I'm very and this room where we're talking this is my home office where I do my accounting I do my podcasting I do my interviews I do my marketing I do emails and this is it's a very very difficult for me to do fiction in the same space physically and mentally than I do everything else mm -hmm. so I'm what are we in week two as we talk we're just over a week in what day eight or something yeah and I'm like okay I'm allowing myself a couple of weeks to get other things done so I've got non-fiction I'm doing courses I'm doing lots of other stuff business-wise to make money but in a couple of weeks time if I haven't knuckled down to it then I'm going to have to invent some new scenario and this is a bit of a tip though for people you have to do your fiction writing somewhere else to your other things so for example if you're a gamer and you're sitting in a particular chair to do your gaming you're going to really struggle to write fiction at that same desk because we humans like habits we like you know routine and as a professional creative and a professional writer we have to create the routines that enable us to, to do our job and so what's happened with this is my normal fiction routine has been broken so badly <laughs> I can't go to my you know I just can't go to my desk in my cafe uh so what I might do you know I'm kind of eyeing up the kitchen table downstairs maybe I can trick myself into that um but it is interesting because I've spent many years getting so this particular table and this particular cafe I've been writing at for about five years now so for me to switch out of that into another physical place is quite difficult and that's it been interesting and you know so I realize that some people can write anywhere I don't really believe it I think that most full-time creatives have a routine and they have to stick to it in order to deliver in some way what do you mm -hmm. think no, I'm I'm very very similar, and I'm not along as you're saying a lot of that stuff because uh, there's a cafe that I've I've started going to probably about six months ago, and I always get the same chair at the same table every day. It just happens to be where I go. And one of my worries at the minute is that I don't think it will happen because it's quite a big chain store. But my worry is that 
all of this corona stuff will be over and then they'll just be out of business and they'll have to find somewhere else which is obviously a bit of a worry and you make new routines you make new habits but um no i'm definitely the same i've got a place in which i get most of my fiction down and i've only recently started going to um non-fiction and i do that where i'm sitting now and i do the podcast here um and just having those two different setups it gets you into a, a completely different mindset and I'll, I'll change like playlists as well because i've got one playlist i listen to for fiction and then another mm. one now that i've associated with non-fiction so i think it's i think it's massively actually underestimated how that can stimulate you properly and get you into the zone much much quicker and i think you're right a lot of the people that jump around and think they can write everywhere would benefit quite a lot from finding the place where they can set up a shop and, and make it happen yeah and i think it's completely true getting into that flow state uh i just have not been able to do since since being at home for fiction so but in the this case i think it's also that feeling guilty i don't want to feel guilty about not writing i don't want to give myself any kind of negative energy around writing fiction it's got to stay as a positive thing in my mind so i'm not going to force myself to do that unless we get into months and months of this so we know that (laughs) things will be different because i am what am i what am i for 40,000 words into a novel right now nice so I know that's going to be difficult to get back into um but what I'll have to do is come up with some new hacks and like hack my process but if you're you know people listening identify the things that help you get into the zone and then try and replicate that as regularly as possible and that's going to help you create more what does a, a normal writing day look like for you yeah well with the cafe I would get up and be at the cafe at seven and then work on whatever first draft material um you know at the moment it would be map of the impossible my third Matt Walker dark fantasy and then at about half past nine ten I go and do exercise so yoga or weight training or walking or something and so I really you know (laughs) I am a professional writer but really two and two and a half hours a day is about it for me for first draft material and then I will um yeah after the exercise I'll come back then it's lunchtime and then I'll do business stuff so blogging podcasting interviews um accounting all the things that you have to do to run a business um marketing all that type of stuff so basically for me it's creating in the morning and um business in the afternoon um and many people always say oh you know you're not a full-time writer it's like yeah this is the reality the reality is you know now you know the reality is not oh I just get up and write all day I mean there are some authors who do that but they are generally traditionally published people like Stephen King um who have whole teams who manage the rest of that stuff for them but if you're trying to be an independent, for example, then you have to do all the other things too. Mm. And I, I enjoy that. That's that's the other important thing. I enjoy the other stuff. I love business. I think business is just as creative as producing books. Yeah, it's definitely helpful when you can you can enjoy every single part of it. And you, mm. you've alluded to a, a couple of times there that obviously you do a lot of stuff. You've got your nonfiction, you've got your fiction, you've got the podcast, you've got a whole host of uh, the other stuff that you get on with. How how do you organize yourself uh, and make sure you don't let any of those balls drop? Do you use any specific software? Do you have uh, any particular methods to actually managing and keeping track of what you're what you're currently doing? Uh, well, I have on my wall, I have to do and it has the big stuff. So it has health. <laughs> <laughs> health, health is at the top. Uh, and then it says map of the impossible. And then it says arcane 11, which is my next novel. And then it says how to write a novel, which is something I've got 
90,000 word draft of. I need to edit that. So I've got basically on the wall are the big projects in big writing. And then I have um, Google Calendar on my phone. I basically manage everything through Google Calendar. Obviously, we booked this time in Google Calendar. Um, so that's import a really important tool for me. Then on the smaller level, I have the Things app and uh, that's Mac only, but it's on my phone and the laptop. And that's much smaller. That's like add keywords to this field on this book, you know, that type of thing, little things. And that to-do list every day, <laughs> sometimes it's just, <laughs> but then I just move things forward. Um, and so that's a small tracker, but it's so I, it's like my external brain. Some people use Evernote. I just don't get on with Evernote. So I use things app. Um, and I'll also put quotes in there. I'll put fiction ideas. I basically use that app for everything, birthdays, you know, e e everything. <laughs> um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, and then, of course, it's episodic work. So the podcast, my podcast goes out every Monday. So I know that on a Friday, every Friday, I prepare, record my introduction and send it over to my audio guy, Dan. And so I know that that always happens on a Friday and then, you know, email news, email list thing happens on a Monday. So I have these things that happen every week and that's a sort of more episodic. I don't actually need to remind myself of that, although I do <laughs> still have in my calendar, you know, I'll have do intro to podcast is on a Friday and even things like, you know, um, check bank accounts do make sure the money's in the right place businessy stuff that you have to do when you're a full-time creative so if people don't realize like if you run your own business nobody else puts money in your bank account you still have to pay yourself you still have to deal with your taxes and pay your bills so all of that type of thing I have slots in my calendar for as well so I stay on top of it because I think and this is important to say because many many creative people don't like to engage with that type of thing and that's how they get into trouble like it's most very common to see people get their taxes out of whack or you know not account for different business things that they need to account for so that's something that I keep a very tight rein on <laughs> if you're looking for the next best thing to invest in try investing in your long-term health with forward forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. Did you know this podcast is powered by Acast? Acast is the home of podcasting. For creators looking for freedom to grow their listeners and make money too. And creative brands looking for smart ways to advertise. Podcasters and advertisers in the know know Acast. It's time you did too. Visit Acast.com to find out more. Acast. For the stories. Now, it's something that I learned, uh, I learned the hard way because I, I was a freelance editor and proofreader for a couple of years going back mm -hmm. five or six years now. And I, was, I only did it for about two years or so before my son was born. But in that time, I pretty much made every single one of those mistakes of being disorganized, not tracking taxes, everything else. So going well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But it's lessons now. So I, I obviously use that time now. I've gone into full time authorship and it's stuff that I now am so hyper aware of. 
that mm. I do keep on top of that stuff. But I do find that as someone who's not traditionally very, very organized, it takes a lot for me to start getting the ball rolling. And I, I use Google calendars a lot for everything now. And I've got sort of your regular reminders and different things. Um, were you always that organized going into this or has it been something that you've slowly developed over time? Um, well, it's funny because you, you reminded me with my very first paycheck where I out of college, I joined Accenture, which is uh, now what used to be called Anderson Consulting, a consulting firm. And my very first paycheck, I bought a leather bound Filofax. <laughs> <laughs> this is night. What was it? 1997. I bought a Filofax and I had that Filofax. I used that Filofax. If people don't know what that is, it's like a small binder with a leather cover with with all the calendar in but it's a physically handwritten calendar so I only stopped using that about three or four years ago and it, I used to use a lot of Tipex again Tipex is one of those things I don't even know if it exists anymore but it's like that white, <laughs> white out it, no. I think they call it white out in America so I would I would just redo this organization but no I guess I've always been quite organized and this is another thing about being an independent author I think if people listening are feeling like that's a complete nightmare, <laughs> well, I don't think it's unfair to say that if you are not organized like yourself, you had to get organized. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to deal with money, well, you're going to have to deal with money. And if you don't want to learn technology, well, sorry, you're going to have to learn some technology. And I feel like to be a successful independent author, um, author entrepreneur creative entrepreneur whatever you want to call it you do have to get to grips with some skills that you might feel are not creative in some way and you just have to get to grips with them for example the accounting side i use software called zero xero.com it's absolutely brilliant but it's a bit like anything it takes a couple of hours to get to grips with and once you've de dealt with it and you can work with an accountant it's something that the investment of a few hours will help you no end and will stop the pain uh, of a future, you know, thing you have to do with an accountant who just has a go at you. So I, I, I would urge people, if you're serious, if you're listening and you're serious about doing this full time, you do have to learn some of these skills. And they may just, as I said, be a couple of hours and the investment will last for your whole career. So it's well worth it. You mentioned earlier as well that you are still keeping up with your strength, um, your strength training. You've got a personal trainer at the minute because one of your goals is to, to get fitter, to get uh, stronger. What lessons have you learned from um, finding a personal trainer? And has your writing in any way surprisingly crossed over into that barrier of health? Well, to be honest, I've always uh, I've had personal trainers for many years Um but what happened when I moved to Bath and, and the other thing is, I think <laughs> I'm 45 and when you're I think you're about you're younger than me for sure. Be generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I'm look 29. like a millennial. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm a slightly above a millennial, I hope. Not in like status, <laughs> that came out wrong. Let's move on. <laughs> but the point is, if you do a desk job, so I've basically been doing a desk job since 1997, you're going to end up with some kind of chronic injuries <laughs> um, from desk work. And what happened to me last year um, in 2019 was I really, that my shoulder, my right shoulder had been bothering me for years and it basically went into chronic pain situation. And uh, so I got back back into weight which I'd lost for a few years and so what was interesting to me 
I think is how much I love it and I'd lost it and I really love lifting weights I love in fact it's funny because this morning we're again in lockdown but I'm training via Skype with my trainer I have a couple of kettlebells at home so I'm getting some good workouts in to be honest Uh, but how it's helped my writing is I'm not in pain (laughs) so this is a big deal I got to the point where I was in chronic pain and I couldn't do my job properly and what I would say to people listening again and I co-wrote the healthy writer with a a medical doctor Dr Ewan Law a few years ago and but I feel like health is cyclical in that you you can't you don't just fix it once you have to stay on top of it um and you have to engage with it every day really and that's the way you're going to be able to write for the long term you have to be physically well and if you're not then your writing is going to suffer I know so many writers who have medical issues and health issues and postural issues. I mean, basically, I had, if, if everyone thinks of the slumped forward, forward rolling shoulder issue, that's what I had so much that it was pinching the nerves in my arms. Ouch. Yeah. And so I couldn't, I was getting a lot of pain and it wasn't RSI. It was my, you know, my scapulas, my shoulder blades, you know, everything. So I need to correct my posture. So, what's so fascinating to me is re-engaging with the physical body is just making my writing so much better and I just feel better (laughs) I mean life is better when you feel good so I again I would urge people if you have pain you have to deal with it especially if you're in your 30s 40s well you have to deal with it at any age but if you're in and I basically ignored that pain for probably a decade until it got that bad, whereas I should have started dealing with it much, much earlier. But, you know, like we all do, you kind of you only deal with it when it really, really hurts. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? I, I had a, a back issue that, that struck me out of nowhere last year around uh, February 2019. The last of the good six months and that came just from sitting a lot of the time from not lifting things not heavy things but just regularly not paying attention to how I lift things and 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 getting that exercise and like you say it's not until it actually debilitates you that you actually pay attention and go okay I need to find a way to fix this um yeah I would say also um my trainer now he's also Dan I have so many Dans in my (laughs) life (laughs) but um I really respect his domain specific expertise and again I would say to writers the reason we work with editors the reason we work with book cover designers the reason you work with a personal trainer who specializes in shoulder rehab is because they have domain specific experience that you do not have and you cannot get it just from YouTube videos Mm. and so when people say you know for me being an independent author also means working with professionals so hiring editors hiring cover designers hiring people who know what they're doing and that's something again I feel very much like I've learned this lesson again I don't just want to go to a gym and do a class I want someone who knows what they're doing with the physical anatomy and can help me specifically so the importance of paying professionals has also come back to me <laughs> yeah I think that that investment is definitely worth it and like you say it comes back and and pays itself back in the long run definitely. um you, you've got a slew of non-fiction behind you 
how how do you choose the subject of your your next nonfiction? Are you uh, are you at a point yet where you feel like you've covered everything, or are there many more topics that you wish to to cover? <laughs> oh, I keep thinking I am dumb. As I said, like this, um, I've had a draft of how to write a novel for a number of years, but you know, you feel like Stephen King wrote a book on how to write a novel, so I can't. But I have actually thought of a way I can deal with this now, so that one might be coming out. But I um, audio for authors, which is my latest nonfiction. Um, I wrote that because loads of authors were asking me the same questions so that's normally how it works it it's all these people are asking me questions how do I get away from having to answer over and over again Mm. (laughs) and so having a book on that topic um helps so productivity for authors was the same thing just common questions that people ask uh so I do have a couple more nonfiction in mind, but also I want to start doing nonfiction under my JF Penn uh, name, which is my fiction name. But I want to start doing nonfiction around themes of my fiction. So, for example, I'm going to write a travel memoir and that's going to go under JF Penn. Um, because my all my fiction is about is different places in the world, and I've got the books and travel podcast, which goes with that name. And so I'm starting to look at what other nonfiction I want to write uh, that will help my other books. And I think that's I do think nonfiction is fantastic. I think everyone should write nonfiction as well. It's you know it's much much easier as I said. <laughs> it's much easier to sell as well. <laughs> That's good to know. Like I say, I'm I'm working on my first nonfiction at the minute, so that'll be a an interesting one to to approach and see how that goes. Um, with being such a recognisable face in the independent author community, is there ever a time where you feel the pressure of so many eyes watching you and what you're doing, or do you try very much to focus on just doing your own thing and marching to your own drumbeat? Well, it's funny you say that. I don't really feel that most of the time. I mean, okay. we're in we're in a very small niche and most of the time my conversations happen like this and it's just me in my room and it's you in your room I mean no one else is here so, <laughs> I mean sure some people might listen to this at some point but who knows and to be fair I still feel that and when I record my podcast introduction every Friday I'm just in my little booth in the corner no one else is there it's just me and So I don't know. I think part of the good thing about being an independent is that you can just create what you want to create. And although I do try to serve my audience in some way, I think that most of the time what I do is based on just wanting to to do that project. Mm. Um, And look, let's be honest, we're a tiny, tiny, tiny niche and a few people might know my name but you know again it's not Stephen King is it it's not some big super niche so I think sometimes we worry too much about that I mean generally I just get annoyed when my own family do read my stuff or (laughs) and then it's like um, I put out on books and travel podcast I did a little podcast on home the importance of home in difficult times and it was quite emotional for me and then I get this message and my mother-in-law listened to it and I was like oh I'm just and it was fine you know I didn't say anything bad but I'm actually more impacted if someone I know reads my stuff like my husband doesn't read any of my stuff so I just carry on with my life (laughs) is that is that deliberately because of you or just because he chooses not to (laughs) he's just not you know he's like most people's spouses partners life 
partners, whatever. Uh, he just reads other things. He really likes epic fantasy, which I don't write. <laughs> mm. So that's why he's just not interested. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I've got, uh, my, my dad at the minute is working through one of my series, which it's not, it's nothing along the lines of the stuff that he normally reads. But he keeps coming back to me every few months and just going, read the next one. And you have that awkward exchange where I'm like, did you enjoy it? And he just goes, yeah. But you don't, you can't dig deeper because it's your dad and he's not going to say negative things and this and, you know. Well, it's, well it's I, I mean, I know you write um, darker stuff as well, don't you? And yes. my mum, my mum did read one of my darker books, Desecration, I think she read. And she basically said, what, did I do something wrong <laughs> <laughs> with your upbringing? I'm like, no, mum. No, it's fine, really. Yeah. But, you know, so I think it's better if the people who know us don't read our work. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I know my mum hasn't read any of my stuff yet, but she, she continually keeps moaning at me going, why can't you write romance or something yeah, lovely? something I'm nice. Because like, it just doesn't interest me, mum. Um, <laughs> you've got a fair amount of accolades behind you and you've you've hit bestseller lists. You've, you've done fantastic things with your work. Have your accolades in any way benefited your work? And if so, where have, where would you say those examples would lie? This is a really good question, and it's something that uh, I think as independent authors who have always been independent, so I've never been traditionally published in English, have been in translation, but um, we don't have any validation from the industry. And this is something that affects us in the, in a self-confidence manner. So I am so proud of being an award-nominated author with the ITW, the International Thriller Writers. So that's my genre's, you know, my genre organisation. I have a goal. I mean, I would just love to win a, a Bram Stoker. I've never even submitted to the Bram Stoker Awards. You'll be up against me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So that means a lot. And the reason that means a lot, because I have you know being a judge in many of these things I, I'm part of judging panels and is you are judged by your peers and that means a lot so I really really do want to win a genre specific prize so that I am recognized by my peers so that's why award nominated is in my bio because that means a great great deal the New York Times thing is not even possible now for indies to do in the way that I did back in 2014. This was when you could hit the list as a multi-author box set. So that's not it's not possible anymore. And the USA Today, same. Well, you know, you can still do that. Um, and I've done that on my own as well. But those things are games. And that's what everyone has to realise. They That is playing the game and playing it well enough to make the list and so those things are very um I don't want to disparage anyone who wants those goals but they are they we decided to play a game we played it well <laughs> <laughs> and we found out the rules and we did it and that's how many people like if you do some research on something like the New York Times it's very much a game and the traditional publishers will play the game too mm. you and I are in the UK the Sunday Times list we can't even play that game because it's not open to us the Booker Prize that's not open to us so there are games you can play and games you can't play and so in terms of accolades I don't think of them as accolades the only accolade I would really like is is a genre award by my peers the other stuff as far as I'm concerned is is not that necessary it's just a 
ticket. It's almost like a little ticket, a little tick next to your name that says played the game, you know, did that well um, at that moment in time. Sadly, uh, I think many people think it means more mm. before. I mean, I would, I would still love to hit the New York Times as a single author with a hardback or something. I mean, yeah, that would be great, but I'm, I can't play that game, so I'm not going to. So, yeah, my tip for everyone would be if you want to play those games, go find out the rules and then um, go for it. You have to spend some money. You know, you have to do some spike advertising. You have to do, get all the things, all your ducks in a row, all your book bubs and your ads and blah, blah. And I've got put all that on the website. So um, people can find that in, in the show notes. So I guess I'll send you some links or something. Uh, yes, but please. yeah, but it's um, really, I think the important thing is for everyone listening, what do you really, really want? And for me, my number one goal is to carry on doing this, to not go back to a day job. And so it's making that money. Um, that will enable me to not go back to my day job, right? And the best way to do that is actually to sell direct, <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious. Just completely bypass any of the stores and sell direct by email to customers. You get, you make the most money, you get the data of the customer, and no one will ever know about that sale. So it's completely unrecognized sale in any list, but you get the money in your bank account. So there's a big difference in these goals and everyone, every author has to figure out what they want the most. And the other thing is you can get everything you want, but not at the same time. So I have 45 years in which to hit the Bram Stoker and you have a bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be an interesting race. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm sure you'll get there first. Um, it's interesting you say that about the the Sunday Times and the USA Today stuff, because the way that I've, I don't know if it's just what I've interpreted it as, but sometimes those um, genre specific awards can also feel like a game in a way as well when you do go up against your peers and that. Is that something that you'd agree with at all? Or, or do you think it's a bit more? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't discount the importance of networking. Mm you do have to play that game and but i do believe having as i said having been in various judging panels that the quality of the work i mean i've i have read you know for for some of these things you have to read like a thousand books and it is very very clear what quality is in a genre and quality is a difficult word to talk about with indies but I got to say, it's very evident. And some of those books that are not good quality are traditionally published. And some wow. of those books are indie. I mean, I can read, you know, especially particularly in the thriller genre, I can read like 50 lookalike thrillers. Exactly. I like, yeah, I know exactly what this is. And then I'll read something that's stunning. Um And you just know and you know when it works because there's always panels of judges. And if everyone comes up with the same names, you know that those those books and um, obviously I can't go into too many details. But the a book like last year, the year before last, all of us said the same book should win. And that book did win. And it was like, yeah, that book was the correct book. And so it's kind of evident. And the reason why these games are good to play in terms of genre is it shows you it shows you what a good book in that genre should read like i mean you know the bram stoker right 
Mm, there are some incredible books on the brand fantastic ones yeah just brilliant so stunning that you just wish you had written that book Mm -hmm. and so that's why I like the I why I read a lot of the award winners and award nominated books because they are very very good and yes I'm a businesswoman I like making money but I also want to improve my craft, as do you and everybody listening. And a really good way to improve your craft is to read a lot of these books and like figure out, OK, why why did this win? Um, so have you read Christopher Golden's Ararat? I haven't, no. OK, that won a few years ago, the Bram Stoker. Absolutely brilliant book. A perfect example to me, a perfect horror novel perfect all right going on the list yeah and everyone listening if you like reading horror perfect horror novel horror thriller and you see you read it and you go ah okay i know why this one i know why this is why is this so good and you can deconstruct what works and so i think that's why looking at these um genre awards are more important than the bestseller lists because they they have been read and judged by people who read in the genre and it's almost like the wisdom of the crowds i think mm. to, to a point yeah definitely gives me more th- more faith because i was i was a little bit like um i guess on the fence about whether or not to go for it because of that stuff but obviously given what you said that's that's restored some faith there um oh I've yeah got... and especially in horror oh my goodness the quality is so high it's so high in horror like you and i yeah. aiming for the bram stoker is quite a high bar oh man big steps to jump up um i've got one more question within my main segment and then i've probably got time for one patreon question before we go into the quick fire round my last question that i ask all of my guests um feel free to take it in any direction that you would like is why do you joanna penn write uh because it is the way i my default artistic sense i think everyone has a default and i think writers write like we're not visual or some people have a bit of both but for me i write because i always have written journals and i've always written i don't know what i think unless i write so it for me it just is the thing that i do (laughs) and now also it's the thing that makes me money so i guess that's always nice when they match up yeah it is it is and yeah what i would say to people is you know if you if you just if you just write stuff because that's how you figure figure things out in your brain, then you're probably a writer. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so I've got a question now from one of my patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. And this one is from Mark McClure, who says, how are sales for large print books going nonfiction and fiction? Uh, yeah, so large print romance so i have co-written some sweet romance sweet romance with my mum no sex please um and under penny appleton and the the book that sells the most in large print is love second time around which has two mature adults on the front of the book so people in their 60s it's a mature romance and that sells a lot in large print unsurprisingly really because that's the market that is a really good market for large print so that's I think that's about 30% of those sales are large print so that's significant um I off the top of my head I don't know the breakdown for the other things but what I do know is that why wouldn't you do it so every book now I put out in ebook um 
paperback, large print and hardback because they're print on demand. You can do them with vellum. Um, you just change, you know, the font size, stick a large print thing on your cover. Why wouldn't you do it? There's really no need to not do it. Um, libraries like large print books. Uh, so I think I will be doing my next data thing in June or July. So maybe circle back and have a look at that because this will be my first year of doing a lot, a lot more large print. Exciting. Um, okay, so into our quick fire round now. So I've got 10 questions that I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. Uh, feel free to pass at any point. There's no pressure. It's literally all just for fun. Um, but are you ready to go? Okay. <laughs> okay. Lara Croft or Indiana Jones? Oh, clearly Lara. If you could have any non-conventional animal as a pet, what would it be? Snake. Chocolate or wine? Both. <laughs> Boats or planes? Depends what for, I suppose. If it's a long distance, a plane. <laughs> Who was the last writer to make you cry? Oh, I'm not much of a crier in reading, to be honest. Fair. If you could live as one of your characters for a day, who would it be? Morgan Sierra, my main character in Arcane, who is, you know, secret agent and um, clearly my alter ego. <laughs> Snow-covered mountains or sun-drenched beaches? Uh, I'm not really a beach or a mountain person, really. I, I like deserts. Okay. And uh, I like the canal and, you know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a lucky charm? Uh, no. How many pairs of shoes do you own? I have quite a lot of walking boots. Nice. Uh, what's your favourite book of all time? Oh, so you see, that's just such an unfair question because <laughs> it, we it all have so many. Yeah, it changes. Yeah. Probably, well, the one of the book, a book that I would that comes back into our discussion on genre is The Stand by Stephen King, which I am actually listening to on audiobook right now. It's big. It's the yeah, and I've yeah, and I've read it a number of times. This is the this is also the unabridged author's edition audiobook. <laughs> it's like forty five hours, but um, the stand is is again a very perfect, you know, post. But uh, it is about a flu virus that kills the whole world. <laughs> Maybe wait a little bit before people start reading that one. Yeah, yeah, but I think you know, in terms of a great example, uh, that the stand by Stephen King is is a goodie. Spot on. And that's 10 questions. I've got one more question for you, which is where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on? Uh, well, for writers, thecreativepen.com and the Creative Pen podcast with a double N and my fiction. Uh, if you like, you know, books and travel, come along to the Books and Travel podcast. And my fiction is under JF Pen F for Francis. Perfect. And I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Well, Joanna, thank you so much for sharing some time with me. Really appreciate being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. No worries. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writers Share podcast. Next week, we'll be talking to horror author and the host of This Is Horror podcast, Michael David Wilson. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare. Until next time.
Hey, podcaster, meet Acast. We're the top independent podcast network for creators in the know. We empower you to develop your podcast idea, find your audience, and grow listener relationships wherever those listeners are. You'll also find a whole range of ways to make money, from membership plans for paying fans to our fully curated and creative advertising experience. Visit acast.com network to find out more. Acast, for the stories.